Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Liam Gerada, the co-founder and CEO of Krepling, an e-commerce platform for online stores. In 2018, two teenage brothers in Malta wanted to start an agency. They'd recently sold their Shopify store and decided that they wanted to help others running similar businesses. They spent a few months validating the idea, but realized people didn't need an agency. They needed a better platform. So Liam and Travis set out to build a Shopify competitor. Neither of them were developers, but Travis had taken some courses, so knew just enough to start building something. And after months of work, they shipped a product with a clunky backend and an ugly user interface. But the product was free, and they were still able to attract new users. But as soon as they started charging, pretty much every user they had churned. The brothers pushed on and tried anything they could think of to find customers. For example, posting on sites like Quora and Reddit, sending cold emails. Eventually, they were able to find a handful of customers. Fast forward to today, Liam is now 21 and Travis is 18. The two brothers have made significant improvements to their product. They now have over 500 customers and they've raised a pre-seed round from Jason Calacanis's launch accelerator. They still have a long way to go and a lot more work to do. But I think they've accomplished a lot in the last couple of years. They're both still pretty young, didn't have tons of experience, didn't know how to code, and live on a small island in the middle of the Mediterranean. But that hasn't stopped them from building their SaaS business and finding customers. So I hope you enjoy it. Liam, welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, great to be here. So do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed that you can share with us? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a specific quote. I would say um, my brother and I both are highly motivated in, in solving problems, um, particularly around what we love and enjoy, um, be it in e-commerce or, or just in general. And I think we really get excited about solving something and we're able to assemble a team of other people just enthusiastic about solving that problem as we are. And I would say that that in, in total really heavily motivates us um, to pursue whatever we are uh, pursuing. So I think that's really the, the one thing that really gets us out of bed per se um, every day is we're solving a problem that we really are passionate about. And other people have, have joined us on this journey to help us solve this problem. And that's just really what we do now and even outside of what we do. <laughs> awesome. So tell us about Krepling. What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, essentially, Krepling, in a nutshell, brings together everything that's required to build an internet business and scale to global markets um, with ease. Krepling is a strict, no-code e-commerce platform that aims to solve 
one simple problem, and that is the decentralization that comes with building an online business. Um, Krepling enables and empowers entrepreneurs and businesses of all sizes, no matter the technical background, no matter the scale of the business, size of the business. And if you're a first-time entrepreneur just looking to test it out and, and, and build out your own e-commerce website or test out selling online, Krepling has you covered. Or even if you're a business doing $30,000 a month in sales and you're enterprise by terms of scale, we can also cover you in that aspect as well. Um, we enable businesses to sell in over 120 plus countries through a few clicks of a button. We take the, user, the successful user base also very seriously. So and that's one of the most important metrics we, we analyze even above our own revenue. And the problem is simple. I mean, we, we saw that when we started our own e-commerce store, we saw that the stitching together of, of disparate systems and paying for expensive third-party apps was a really poorly designed system and e-commerce platforms weren't really built towards the e-commerce businesses of today. Um, that really affected the back end and core functions of our online business. And when you have a decentralized back end, you automatically setting the odds of your business scaling and succeeding against you. Um, and that's essentially what we're solving with Crappling is, is, is a, de- a centralized platform that's no code friendly and is as simple and as easy as the internet should be. So how is Crappling different to other products that support uh, running e-commerce businesses, you know, like the Shopify's of this world? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we, we, we essentially, we, we started off as Shopify merchants ourselves. We built our first e-commerce store on Shopify. Um, we, we, we tackled a few, we were built on Magento, BigCommerce. And essentially, if I took sum it up, crippling different shares from some of the bigger names um, in e-commerce in a number of different ways. Uh, the biggest being the way we tackle core e-commerce verticals um, in the no-code space. So Krepling has positioned itself as one of the more favorable options for business owners looking for a centralized no-code solution. Um, It does everything you need it to do and more whilst being able to provide core value proposition across all e-commerce verticals. So we if a user were to build a business on Krepling, you're not having to stitch together a bunch of disparate apps. You're not having to pay for a bunch of poorly designed integrations. It really is built for the e-commerce business of today, not back in 2006, when uh, essentially the only problem uh, e- e-commerce had was there was no e-commerce. There was no way to sell online. And these platforms made that possible. Since then, times have evolved and e-commerce has evolved and the way you, you integrate and, and scale your business has evolved. And Krepling is really building for the businesses of this this generation and this time of e-commerce. There hasn't been many companies tackling the full scope of building an online business the same way Krepling has till date. Um, I think this is a really pivotal to the success of any new disruptive effort in the space today is, is being able to, to tackle the full scope of problems, integrations. And that's really essentially what Krepling, how Krepling differentiates from the likes of Shopify, BigCommerce, um, and et cetera. Okay, great. And, and we'll get a little bit more into that because we're, we're going to talk about some of the challenges you faced when you were running your own e-commerce business. But before we do that, give us uh, a, a sense of the the size of the business. So you guys spent most of 2019 doing validation, officially launched October 2019. So you've been in business for, I guess, just under coming up to two years now. What can you tell us in terms of, you know, customers, you know, size of the business? Where are you guys? 
Yeah, so essentially to date, uh, we're powering uh, businesses all across the world. Uh, we have businesses on all six different continents, uh, transacting and building on Krepling. Um, we have around 500 plus customers at the moment uh, within our SaaS model. We are only currently realizing 25% of revenue potential in the sense that we haven't really built out towards the fintech space just yet. That's something on our roadmap definitely for in development this year. So we still are only on the, on the SaaS side of e-commerce, not towards the payment side. But that being said, our business is finding success very quickly. They're producing actually a worldwide GMV of $1 billion plus purely on Krepling. So that's a huge reflection of the type of businesses we have that are, are transacting on Krepling and, and, and moving in, in, our, in our space. So, so, so Liam, GMV is just like gross merchandise value, right? Can you just explain to people who don't know about kind of e-commerce type stuff what that means? <laughs> yeah, sure. So essentially, GMV is a way we calculate essentially how our businesses are, are transacting on the platform. In, in, in layman's terms, it's just a term used to, to indicate the local sales and monetary value of merchandise sold through a particular platform or business. And it's just the way we sort of calculate exactly the type of type of business that's going on the platform, the type of transactions we're seeing, and the the health and status of the companies using Krepling. So it's a, it's a, just a term we, we internally like to refer to is how our businesses are succeeding. It's not necessary to say that they're doing tremendously better than other, any other platform, but they, they are doing, they're, in our own ecosystem, there's a large amount of, of e-commerce companies finding success on Krepling, which, as I said earlier, is a huge reflection on us if our users are finding success. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, so over 500 paying customers and you guys have bootstrapped until quite recently, right? So yes, essentially. You, so you, are you going through like raising a seed round at the moment? Uh, correct. We actually, yeah, we'd be completely bootstrapped uh, since launch. So we we had a period of validation and then October, we officially, October 2019, we officially launched uh, the beta product and have been through our MVP stage ever since. Um, we've just opened our, our seed round. It's a very exciting time for the company and a great reflection of the momentum and further excitement around the e-commerce the e space. Uh, we've just welcomed uh, Jason Calacanis and his team at launch as, as our first seed investors to kind of kickstart the round. And I strongly believe that e-commerce is one of the most investable sectors right now outside of um, vaccine pharma and, and general med tech. Um, and our goal is to further our investments into our products and continuing to build off the success of our user base, as I, as I mentioned earlier. When you look at e-commerce today, there's a lot of disconnected solutions. Um, our goal is still to build a centralized foundation for our customers. So we, we really want to be investing in our products and to be able to, to power the new generation of digital businesses and business owners and, and enterprises. So that's hence the, the move towards a seed round. And we just feel that, yeah, I mean, if you're going to move the speed of e-commerce, you've, you've got to have the, the right tools to, to do that. So that's essentially how we've sort of the momentum around our seed round. Great. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there were a few things that sort of um, kind of interested me about this interview. One that, you know, you, you, you guys have, have got some, some decent traction from bootstrapping. You've got you know, some some good uh, investment coming through now with your seed round, but also you're 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 running this business from Malta, which is about as far away as you could probably get from from Silicon Valley. Yeah, and the company was founded by you and your brother. It's Travis, right? Yeah, that's it. And and how old are you guys? 
Yeah, I'm I'm 21 years old. Uh, Travis is 18 years old, so we're kind of on the younger side of of the, of the Silicon Valley stereotypical entrepreneur slash whatever. But I mean, it's a passion we've had for a long time, so we've we like to consider ourselves at least slightly knowledgeable in the e-commerce space in that sense. Um, and um, yeah, it's 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 turned into from a passion to to full time so we 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 like to to use to rather focus on that as opposed to just being you know typical young young kids and, and, and disrupting a space <laughs> yeah all right so i think that this the story here starts when you were running your own e-commerce business a few years ago so can can you kind of set the scene for us and and tell us a little bit about what you were doing then Absolutely. So essentially, we got this idea. We actually, well, I say myself originally, so I was a huge fan of sneakers and, and within that sort of, I was interested in, in you know, purchasing sneakers and, and reselling sneakers. Um, and what I discovered was essentially that there was this, this, this gap in the market for an e-commerce consignment marketplace, uh, short term, I would say, short-term business uh, we could build and it wasn't didn't really think much of it uh, so we essentially what we we're trying to do is democratize the way sneakers were sold online uh, what we planned on doing was creating a, a consignment marketplace where we would charge fair value to customers and not charge the resale price of sneakers um, and that was essentially that baseline idea got us into the e-commerce space, got us to build our first Shopify store and Magento store as well, um, and get into the e-commerce space in general. And yeah, we that's, that started off as a passion for sneakers, and we quickly discovered how exciting e-commerce is. Our store did quite well. We, we managed to scale to most of Europe through organic word of mouth. We, we, were, we were on the latest drops. We were able to, to outsource a lot of the latest products and really just provide sneakers at a fair price. And hence, the name of the store was... Uh, the King's Fair comes after a King's Fair price. And that was essentially how the store was built and what the value proposition we were providing. Um, and as we scaled, we, 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 got, we got, came accustomed to e-commerce. We came to discover what e-commerce was like. And we encountered some, some problems uh, along the way. We discovered essentially how difficult it is to integrate your store, how difficult it is to scale your store, and how the process can become quite tricky if you're not really in the coding space, especially as your business begins to grow and you begin to open different stores and you begin to discover the possibilities of of headless commerce and and what have you. So it was those challenges that that got us to start thinking about, you know, what what could a fundamental e-commerce platform built with today's problems in mind look like? We didn't think much of it until later on uh, our store actually got acquired. We were able to sort of, luckily time was right and we were able to, through that acquisition, we were able to pivot towards helping other e-commerce goers to help them solve problems um, in the space. And what we did was we essentially looked at starting our own e-commerce agency. And what we looked at doing was helping other e-commerce goers build out their stores, correct the mistakes we made from the mistakes we made, help them discover the correct those mistakes and find success similar to the way we did. And we knew that in e-commerce, there, there was a lot of stores not finding success for really silly reasons that we felt we could help. And we started off, we, we, to start off our agency, we thought it would be a good idea to, to get a feel for the market, validate what sort of segments to tackle. And we've, we went out, surveyed e-commerce goers we knew, uh, e-commerce platform companies we worked with. And what we discovered was essentially that there was some major fragmentation between what e-commerce platforms were providing and what e-commerce goers were looking for. And that 
came up with a great idea. Why don't we actually be the ones to build the new product built for the problems that our e-commerce goers are facing today? So it was from that very <laughs> love for sneakers that we went into grappling. Got it. So so you didn't set out uh, when you did that validation to build a, a SaaS product. You were trying to understand the market and, and how you could provide a service as an agency. Exactly. And then you sort of stumbled across this opportunity. Exactly. Um, we just, we were actually looking just to, in, in, even simpler than that, we were actually just looking to, when we pre-launched our agency site, what services could we offer? I mean, we were just, my brother and myself, we couldn't exactly offer the full suite of SEO right down to website design. You know, we wanted to sort of really niche out the what kind of services we were offering. And we wanted to dim it down to around five problems that we could offer. And when we did that survey, we actually discovered that, listen, a lot of e-commerce goers have problems with integrations. A lot of e-commerce goers are having problems with scaling on these platforms and finding the right platform to fit their business, finding the right integration to fit their business. And we took a look at the survey and the kind of results we had, we thought, wow, I mean, this is a problem we thought was a problem is bigger than it already is. So there might actually be a potential fit here for taking on this market as a, a new e-commerce platform. Um, we originally knew there was something there, but now we sort of had a clear as day that maybe we could be the ones to do it, even though we had no background in tech. So yeah. that was just that initial validation. Yeah. Okay, great. So the validation period, which is about kind of 10 months in 2019, helped you to get to a point where you were able to launch an MVP. Tell me a little bit about the experience of going through that because it what you know you and I talked earlier and it wasn't as straightforward as it sort of sounds right in terms of oh yeah we did we did this we sent this survey out yeah and we found this opportunity straight away which was like <laughs> build this product and you know uh, we'll live happily ever after. So, so tell us a little bit about the challenges you had along the way when you were trying to validate the potential opportunities in that market. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I wish it were as simple as that. I think we definitely had the, the mindset that it was going to be as simple as that. And we were eager to get started. Little did we know that obviously a survey doesn't exactly translate to a clear-cut problem and a clear-cut solution. Humans are more complex, problems are more complex, and thus we needed to be more complex in the way we thought of solutions. So I hate to admit it, we didn't really think of that straight away. We actually went out and we decided to start building this platform. We took as little coding knowledge as we knew, I mean, really little. We sort of looked at a few courses, took a bit of knowledge. My brother was more in the coding space than I am. He was more of a developer than I was. So we kind of built out this product and we discovered that essentially this wasn't actually solving anything. It was more or less complicating a lot more things. So we really need to take a step back and think, okay, so what exactly are these problems and how can we really solve these problems through a platform, not just as an agency. I mean, initially we were asking these questions as an agency, not as a new platform. So we really need to, to, to tackle this um, and look at it as a, a bigger picture. And what we essentially did was we actually took a step back and we said, okay, so if e-commerce goers are expressing these problems towards an agency type survey, are they expressing similar problems to a platform type survey? And the, the answer was no, there was a discrepancy. There was a difference between what agencies were providing and what uh, platforms were providing and the problems they would express. So we need to take a step back and look at the industry as a whole and see exactly what what kind of solution would solve the major pain points in a way that sounds much, that's much more doable and is much more, and still within, within the no code space. So what we 
we're able to sum that up to, you know, from the, the users having difficulty finding the right platform, from users having a bunch of broken integrations, paying for extra add-ons, having to figure out which type of platform catered towards the development space, which worked with the no-code space. What we discovered was the clear indication here is there's a lack of centralization. There's a lack of a platform that is no-code friendly, is centralized, easy to use, and is essentially tackling the core verticals of e-commerce the right way, not just built out from solving one problem and is now providing a marketplace. We, there is a platform, there is a need for a platform that centralizes the e-commerce experience and that is built towards what the problems in mind of the e-commerce goes up today. Whereas back in 2006 and beyond when the Shopify's came in, there only really was one problem and that was we couldn't sell online. We need a platform to do that. Now there's a vast array of platforms. So with that bear in mind, we, we sort of took the validation to a different phase. We initiated a beta product. We called it Beta V1. It was a free product where we had the initial survey people or anyone who wanted to sign up could come on and test the product. And we just watched, see which customers were willing to pay, see which customers just churned. And we used that as a, a stepping stone to validating the product further. And what we discovered was when that initial stages was the customers that were, we were solving for a vast array of problems were sticking on. The customers that felt the centralization was working for them, the integrations made sense. They stuck on. Whereas the customers who, for example, we provided tools that allowed them to sell subscriptions and digital products, that was kind of a niche problem we were solving. So they kind of churned or went off to another platform. So within that scope, we, we sort of built our beta products around those early days of testing and validation um, until, and that happened right up until October. So almost the whole year of validation. And we were able to customize UI, make the small tweaks as well on the side until eventually being satisfied with the product and launching an official beta paid MVP in October 2019. So what, what did this, this first version of the product actually do? It essentially just helped with integrations and it made this, you were able to sell different products a lot easier. So you were able to sell subscriptions, digital products. Um, it was kind of layered. So we the product more or less catered towards the type of plan you purchased. Whereas if you purchased a plan just to sell digital products and subscriptions, you kind of report to a front end that solved that problem. Whereas if you were looking for better integrations, you would purchase a different plan and you'd have the integrations working a lot better. So there were actually plans, platforms catered towards different plans just to get a feel for what customers were feeling and what the initial first purchase looked like. In terms of UI, it was a disaster. It wasn't the greatest. We didn't really have much uh, to build on and we kind of just essentially stitched together a backend that we thought made sense and, and initially just got to market to test. Our logo was also kind of built on an idea that it was a monkey initially, which was built on the idea that um, e-commerce should be as easy as for a monkey able to be able to do it. So even the logo itself kind of spoke volume to what the first version of the product looked like. And yeah, essentially, I wouldn't exactly call it the most uh, good looking product on the market, that's for sure. <laughs> so when you say centralized, I'm not sure if I've understood this correctly. It's like if you go to use a Shopify, there are probably thousands of third party apps that you can integrate with your e-commerce site, but often there's a bunch of, to, to kind of get it working seamlessly, it's not that straightforward and it might involve some coding and, and so on. So with Krepling, are, are you kind of saying, when you talk about centralized, you're saying all of that functionality 
or the core functionality is built into the platform, you don't need to go out and integrate these third-party apps into Kreplink. Essentially, we, we don't claim to do it all. So we don't claim to provide an in-house solution for all the problems. We just claim to integrate more effectively. So in the sense that Shopify would provide an app for almost every different type of function, simple functions would require an app and more streamlined functions would be in-house. We essentially are providing integrations that are much easier. There's no need for purchasing it. 500 apps to do one basic task and integrations are one-click installs. So there's no need for complex disjointed backends or disjointed integrations. It's a much more streamlined integrational process. A lot of folks have compared it to the likes of Zapier and what have you. So we've just streamlined integration process. Uh, we've we essentially moved a lot of barriers. So the platforms tend to be much more expensive when you go into the, the integrational side. For example, there's likes of Kajabi who have provided vast, vast, variety of integrations and have sort of got an idea for what, what the, the fragmented experience looks like, but they're much more on the high-end uh, enterprise space. So we've kind of also gone towards the, the less um, expensive route as well. So And being on top of that with a disjoint, uh, less disjointed backend and with the, the cherry on top being that it's completely um, no-code no code friendly and no-code is at the heart of everything. So every integration is, is streamlined and it's easy to use. Even those integrations we don't provide in-house and we haven't yet provided an app for that just yet, it's still much easier to integrate using code if you need to. So it's, it's just a far more streamlined, uh, easy to navigate uh, centralized experience. So although centralized is a vague word, we like to use it because it really sums up what e-commerce should be in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. Okay, great. So when you launched the MVP initially, I think you said it was free. And then how did you go about getting your first 10 customers? How long did you keep the product running for free? What point did you introduce a paid plan? How did uh, your users react to that? Yeah, essentially, we actually brought in a paid plan pretty pretty early on. We started off in the first month or so as a free plan uh, just to kind of see how that works. We just felt that with a free plan, we, we really weren't getting enough data to, to validate the product just yet. So we actually pivoted to a paid plan pretty quickly. And as you can imagine, I think every user churned at that point. I think we lost <laughs> most of our users. But we, we felt that, that that was a good step. We felt that if you know if we're gonna, really going to be solving a big problem here and taking on a very competitive market, we've got to come in with a solid ground and we've got to come in with a real solution, a real product differentiation. And that has to speak for itself. That has to be in a position where customers are willing to pay for that early on. If that's not happening, it's our fault and not the customer's fault. So we pivoted to a paid model early on. And as a result, we saw data coming a lot easier. So with we obviously shared the product within our, our ecosystem. We shared it on, on, on forums. We shared it with other e-commerce goers. We did a bit of cold selling every now and then. And that brought up the first five or 10 and so on customers. And that allowed us to start validating, start moving moving through that those phases. And they obviously recommended other people. What we discovered through that phase was a lot of e-commerce goers, it's Quite, quite common in the e-commerce space for e-commerce growers to share their experience on their site, how they build this business, if the business is succeeding, how they got it to succeed, they document their experience, be it on other social channels, forums, what have you. And that brought a lot of 
eyes on crappling and that brought a lot of people to crappling so that worked well in our favor in terms of word of mouth um, another route was our ability to partner with agencies um, a lot of agencies particularly in e-commerce were also expressing similar similar problems that that we had addressed in the sense that they also felt the likes of shopify big commerce and co really weren't really weren't disruptive enough and built towards the, the later new new versions of e-commerce and that they could also benefit from building their custom their clients' websites on Crappling, bearing in mind that integrations are a lot easier. It's much more no-code friendly. So the the offboarding for the the, the, the giving over the, the, the product phase was a lot easier and a lot more streamlined. So that initially brought a lot of agencies to us. We partnered with a lot of third party agencies. And that brought a lot of customers to Crepling too. A lot of agencies would build their sites on Crepling, build their customer sites on Crepling. And a lot of clients would start off on Crepling and even find an agency. So it worked both ways. And that was essentially word of mouth and, and agencies that got us to, to where we are. Um, we spent very little on paid advertising, uh, not because we didn't want to, because we simply couldn't early on with being bootstrapped. And that's essentially got us to where we are today. Is, is it's just word of mouth, organic, and and being upfront with the customer and, and just being able to help every step of the way. So combination of all those three. <laughs> okay, great. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, so you, you, you introduced a pricing plan about a month in to, to, you know, kind of launching that first version of the product. Now, with many founders, there, there's I think there's two two challenges that often come up when you when you think about pricing. Number one is you look at where your product is right now compared to where you think it should be, and you see this big gap in terms of the 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 features that you believe need to be there to have a great product, and that on its own kind of can hold people back from saying, okay, I don't think that there's enough there to start charging for it. The second challenge is that they look externally and they look at competitors like a Shopify and they say, well, I built this product like in the last few months. Shopify has been doing this for years. Why would anybody pay to use my product when they could use Shopify? And it has all of this functionality. So did you did you kind of have go through similar thoughts and what pushed you kind of forward to still introduce that price, that paid plan so early on? Absolutely. I think for sure, we definitely had those thoughts. I think we were essentially, we came to the conclusion, I think, right from the beginning that there's no ways we can charge anywhere near Shop what Shopify charging for a product that is just been on the market for even not less than a couple of months. So we would know we weren't looking to go towards that that pricing point whatsoever. We also fundamentally believed that e-commerce, my brother and I really believed early on, even when we started our own e-commerce store, that it should be free. I think starting an e-commerce store should be free. It should be for everyone, given that the e-commerce customer essentially us as us as well, we when we started our store initially we didn't have any capital to put into this we weren't we couldn't afford to pay 29 dollars a month for a store that was making no no revenue so and that's a big pain point for e-commerce goers that when you know when they're paying for a price for, for a plan and they're not making sales they, they tend to churn so we're a big believer in it being free but we also a big believer in making a product validating a product validating that that, that source that the source product and we were eager to validate that product as early as possible. So it was a tough choice whether to go in with a complete free product from the beginning and stick with what we believed in or going with a paid version. And I think our tech at the time couldn't support a free trial. So we really had to make a decision. Um, and we started with a free plan and we just felt that the, the the initial customers we were getting weren't initially, they were churning quite quickly. They weren't sure, they weren't actually taking time to look at the product, see if it's within their, within their range 
try out the product, help their business to find success and, and really spend time building their e-commerce store and really trying all the features we, we, we built. And essentially when we, we decided let's, if we could try and move to a paid version, we'll get a stronger sense of customers coming in that are more within the e-commerce space and are more willing to try and build a store given that there's that pricing point. So it really was a decision that was mainly based on validation more than anything else. I think our core belief is e-commerce being as free and as cheap as possible. And to this date, we actually have never put our prices up beyond Shopify's range or any of our competitors' ranges uh, fundamentally because we still believe there should be a, a, a party point. And we charge $15 a month to pay dollars a month on purpose because we, we believe customers should start off in the $15 a month range or possibly free and move up and, and scale as their business scales is the same way we had that problem. So I agree. I think it's a, it's a tough choice to make. And I think it really is product dependent. I think we were in a space where pricing really has a lot to do with, with how and how the user will use the product and how they will sort of go about creating the, the business with the tools we're providing. And we felt that with a free trial, we, w- we weren't getting enough validation and we felt that that process wasn't streamlined enough. So a tough choice to make, but I think um, in the long term, it, it certainly benefited our ability to cater towards better problems and validate markets more effectively. Great. And uh, kind of in terms of attracting customers you, you you talked about it was kind of mostly word of mouth and tell me a little bit about that like where were you going online to tell people about the product and how were you doing it in a way which wasn't coming across as you know douchey right <laughs> yeah no exactly um, and that's the one thing we didn't want to do that's i think that was tough i think what we did initially was being e-commerce merchants ourselves we often were quite loud mouth about the problems we faced. And we would often join forums and complain about if Shopify were to rise certain fees on payment fees or that uh, there was a certain conversion we didn't really like on app that didn't really work. So we, in that, in a negative way, we were very loud mouth about problems in e-commerce. And that allowed us to sort of talk to other e-commerce girls with those problems. And essentially, when we initiated the we started building Krepling. We went out to those people, those people we shared those problems with. And we said, listen, we're working on a solution to to solve uh, the problems we we faced, and we shared with you. And 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 those, the, and this is I'm going to say forums. I simply mean you know places like Reddit, places like Quora. Those are places where people t- have issues and they openly discuss them. Um, and that's where we were. That's where we were when we started off, and that's where we we went back to when we launched Krepling. And we felt that we got a good array of customers just willing to try it out simply because we were also e-commerce goers and we, we ex- experienced those pain points, you know? So that was initially how we started off. From then on, we actually built out systems that allowed customers to increase their, their ability to, to, to share the product. So when we discovered that word of mouth is a powerful marketing tool, especially with, 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 with in e-commerce in general, uh, we created systems like the affiliate, our affiliate system, our partner system, and we gave the incentive for customers to share the product and talk about the product. Um, we actually created, we had a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs who would build out a website on Krepling and actually have They'll build out an agency on Krepling to be able to to cater and build other clients' websites and, and build web design websites and refer people to Krepling. So there was an entire ecosystem of businesses referring people to Krepling, building Krepling businesses, and providing Krepling-related services. So that worked out pretty nicely. And we just we were focused on scaling what worked early on. You know, word of mouth was the first five or ten customers. That let's make that the next. 
10 or 100 customers. So we, 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 we stuck within that mindset and um, we weren't rushing to get into paid ads or get into things we didn't know enough, enough about. Um, and that worked in our favor in that, in that sense at least. Yeah. And I also think working with agencies is pretty smart because, you know, every one agency could result in multiple new customers. So, so how did you connect with agencies? How did you start to build those kind of partnerships? Yeah, um, I think the first thing we did was essentially connect with the clients first. So see what type of problems the clients were, were, were reporting, what type of difficulties they were facing. And we weren't necessarily going and pitching to agency, listen, we have this new platform, take all your cust- take your 100 customers you spent years building on Shopify and move them over to us. That wasn't essentially the way we thought about doing it. We essentially just went up to agencies and said, listen, what are the top problems you are facing as an agency and what are the top problems your customers are facing as e-commerce goes. And what we found out was there was a similar type of feel. You know, the agencies were battling to to provide certain systems and code and build certain websites that functioned the way the customer liked it. Whereas the customer was saying, I'm having certain problems with with my website looks pretty, pretty, not doesn't look as well as it should. And I'm, I'm struggling to find an agency within my price range that provides that. So what we're seeing there is a fragmentation. You know, the platform aren't allowing the agencies to build better websites and the customers aren't being able to build a better website using no code. So there's a disconnection there. And we said, okay, well, why don't you try our platform and, and build out your website and see how it looks? Don't pay for anything. And if it works, we'll do the migration for free. Um, and that initially got the first agency on board. And as you said, once they've sort of seen how one problem can be solved, any other customer facing a website design problem, an SEO-related problem, or a product selling-related problem, gateway-related problem, they're able to move to Crepling too because there's a, there's a solution here that brings both parties together. And once you initiate that initial, you, you demonstrate that solution to an agency, they kind of see the reason to move over to Crepling. And that provides a sound partnership that, that's completely transparent from the beginning, that's not based around price, not based around commissions, it's purely based on solving problems. And, and that sort of translates nicely when you've other agencies in their network. So it was that simple as that. Um, and that got us to a, a large amount of customers, especially when we were initially launched looking to scale towards our fundraising. So that definitely helped. Now, you know, running a, an e-commerce business is very different to building an e-commerce platform. And, you know, between you and Travis, it sounded like there was enough knowledge and skills there to be able to build uh, an MVP and, and, and get going. But I, I know you told me that you, you still kind of had a, tough transition as a non-technical founder in terms of building a, you know, a product to technology business. Tell us a little briefly, a little bit about what, what kind of challenges you've faced and what you've learned from that experience that might be helpful for uh, other founders who are also non-technical. Yeah, essentially, I think the, the the biggest challenge was creating a, a team around around bringing this product together. I mean, we we were able to to get people excited enough to join us and and pursue this journey with us, and who are also passionate about the problem. But when it came to the technical side of it, it's you need more than just a passion and a ability to to see a problem. You've got to be able to to build this thing and code this thing, and and that's something we knew nothing about. My brother was more technical than I am, but I, I promise you, I knew nothing. So I knew the, a real big challenge was was finding the right people to 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 bring on this journey with us and, and, and make a part of Krebling, make make them one with us within this solution we're trying to bring up. And 
I think in the early days, trying to hire the right people and trying to find the right talent was was very, very difficult. I think we really struggle in terms of what type of qualifications we're looking for, what type of skills we're looking for. Um, and eventually it got to the point where we would just, we, we really had to expand our knowledge within within the tech space and, and really try things out for ourselves. And, and, and my brother was lucky enough to, 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 to he's, he's more in the tech space than I am. And he was able to sort of bring the skills he had and, and make those and bring those to the, to, the, to the talent field and say, listen, you know, can you solve this problem? Can you build this out? You know, we, we'd use them as those tests, you know, essentially, as opposed to just looking for so-and-so who's got um, a series of qualifications in a space that we know nothing about. Let's give them a real problem to solve in a way we believe could be solved and that's essentially how we found how we found talent early on but it was a real it was a real challenge for us and i think being as being two founders who are non-technical moving to a completely different model i think it, it the results of that challenge was definitely longer time to develop the product uh, there were validation problems uh, glitches like you can't believe and I, essentially i think yeah i mean it was a huge problem but I guess, in a way, our non-technical ability as well allowed us to see things from a different perspective. Maybe that helped too. So yeah, yeah, that's a good good lesson there. I, I think that you know, on the one hand, if if you are non-technical and you're you're looking to hire, you know, a developer or developers, giving them a a standalone piece of work, something that you can actually give them a problem and see how they solve it, uh, can be a good way to to figure out if you've got the right person and if you can do that with a couple of people at least you have kind of like an apples for apples comparison in terms of wow this person was much better at kind of going through this understanding the problem coming up with the solution communicating it versus you know this other person the challenge obviously being if you're bootstrap you don't have the luxury of just saying let me run these human a b tests right <laughs> to to figure out who the right person is so i think definitely probably the skills that Travis has or, or kind of being able to lean on somebody at least who can provide some technical validation, I think is also an important part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, great. So look, we should, we should uh, wrap up. So let's get on to uh, the lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, seven quick fire questions. Ready to go? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I would probably say, to put the customer first at all times. I think that's one advice we've been given a lot and I think it's a, it goes a long way. <laughs> I agree. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I think probably Super Intelligence, Past Dangers and Strategies by Nick Bostrom. I think it's a really interesting book. It's not really in the business space, but it really shows how the world's changing and how innovation is great. But to bear in mind the downside risk of AI taking over the world. <laughs> Yeah. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? I would say it's the ability to get excited about something early on, um, especially when a lot of people aren't excited and being able to excite other people about what it is you've discovered and being able to build a team around that, I think is a real characteristic to have in any anyone looking to solve a problem nowadays, for sure. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I don't really have a favorite productivity tool, but I think a good habit that I think everyone should have is being able to find the good in little things you do. No one necessarily has to change the world to do good, but little things I think really go a long way. And making doing good a habit can change a lot of small things for a lot of people. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? 
Um, I've always wanted to go into the ecotech or sustainability sector. Definitely would like to pursue more of that if I had more time. It's definitely one of the things I'm more or less passionate about and that I set aside time for, whether it be in a personal level or even internal projects within grappling. I think, yeah, it's definitely one thing I'd love to pursue more. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> well, I think maybe it's the fact that I really do enjoy um, design, actually. Yeah, maybe not a lot of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, I, I think the the Krepling site looks looks pretty pretty darn good con- compared to how you were describing the first version of the product. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good work there. And and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, I, th- I think I speak on behalf of my brother and I as well. I think I say our passion really has always been solving problems and building things online. Uh, I would say we're definitely one of the lucky ones that it's been able to be our work as well. But yeah, people have told us it's unhealthy, but an unhealthy habit. But I mean, <laughs> and then I need to find a new hobby. But I mean, yeah, yeah, you can't really find a new hobby, can you? <laughs> Love it. Cool. Well, Liam, thank you for uh, joining me today and uh, sharing your story. Congratulations on uh, the the traction you got in in uh, the first year and a half or so, bootstrapping this business and and now on raising your your seed round. Looking forward to seeing where you take this business over the next couple of years. Uh, if people want to find out more about Krepling, they can go to Krepling. That's K R E P L I N G dot com. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, any way possible. Email, uh, com, LinkedIn, Twitter. Twitter's a good place probably. Um, anywhere. I'm, I'm not unreachable. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I wish you, Travis, and the rest of the team the best of success. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Cheers.